Hey dreamers, today I'm talking with Kim Schivler who is making her dreams come true by empowering entrepreneurs to increase their business by better understanding technology. It's something I can get behind as a tech head myself. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're very welcome. And just so anyone who doesn't know, Kim does have a podcast. I was on that podcast. And the name is, was it eCourse Learn, Learning? eCourse Stories. Stories. I don't know why yes. I thought learning. Stories Stories makes more sense than learning. Uh, where I was on it about like uh, a couple months back uh, by the time this episode comes out. And uh, I had a great story about my your your dream platform, which you might have heard about, maybe maybe not, depending on uh, who you are in the in the verse of Joe Joe verse in the Joe verse. Um, Kim, we had a great conversation. Uh, we we I ran into you here in Philadelphia back in like December because you gave a talk uh, up on stage at. WordCamp US. But even before that, I think I was following you on Twitter before that. And it just so happened I'd be happened to be sitting in your your talk at WordCamp uh Philly or not WordCamp Philly, WordCamp US in Philadelphia. And then like a couple months later, I just happened to run into you because of uh our friend Joel uh in Philly because you were there for um was it Michael uh Port? Yeah, Michael Port's heroic public speaking graduate program. Joel Bogus and I were in that. And yep. uh, when we all had a dinner and I got to actually like sit down and chat with you as opposed to just meeting you in a hallway at a word camp. Yes. And it was, it was absolutely wonderful. I uh, had a great time that night. Um, and so, yeah, so here we are finally to record uh, because Kim, you are definitely living your dream. So I would love for you to give some background about yourself. <laughs> <coughs> okay. I'm happy to do that. Uh, I have a very strange background in that uh, you hear about people talking about having multiple careers, and I feel like I've had multiple lifetimes. I started out, I'm in my 50s, just so you know. I'm not a, a kid. I would have never and, guessed that. <laughs> thank you. I would have I thought like 40s, but go ahead. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, and I started out actually as a complete creative. I started out as a, um, a you know, writer, doing yearbook and newspapers and uh, writing major and doing a lot of literature and and then found out that I could get mathematics credit for taking programming. And I would do anything to get out of calculus. I hated math when I was a kid. So I took programming and I fell in love. Not so much with programming. I am a programmer, but I'm a real hack. I'm not a great programmer. But this was the early 80s. We're talking like 1983, maybe 84. And I saw the, the potential of the applications that were coming out. You know, desktop computers were really just hitting. And I went ahead and played with that, went into, you know, kept my English degree, got my master's in education, taught English for a year, thinking I was going to law school. And then I became a technologist. It was that time about 1989, 90, when corporate America stuck a desktop on everybody's, you know, desk. And someone needed to teach these people how to use them. So I had the background in the tech and also the ability to break it down, make it easy and teach. And really, other than a few crazy hiatuses, when I burned out on tech and did other things... That's what I've been doing for over 20 years, sometimes with big corporations, sometimes with my own companies. Uh, I kind of went in and out of corporate America. I would, I'd be in corporate for a while and then I'd quit. Uh, I, bought, I built my first web development company in 1996, then sold that, went back into corporate America because I wanted to travel, worked for a, a division of IBM and their worldwide team. So I kind of just always went back and forth. Now I'm at that age where I am just unhirable from anyone other than myself. I have to work for me. I love it. And uh, I love it not, not just because of the technology aspect of it, but the, but the, I don't even want to say like glass ceiling, but like the stereotypical smashing, you know, stereotype smashing that you, you, uh, you embodied and, and brought forth. Um, 96 was a good year. That was about the, the, you know, the first year that I started building websites. So it was a, it was a great year, um, for, for a lot, for the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it was really just getting started. I mean, HTML was built, you know, in 1995. 
and then 96 was when, but you could still, it, you know, websites were so basic and so easy and uh, not easy, meaning they were easy to code. They weren't. When I first started, front page wasn't even out. It was, I was hand coding in uh, Unix systems, hand coding all HTML, but it, it was easy. To, if you could get someone online, believe me, you could get them noticed. That was the cool part. Yes. Well, yeah, because there was a lot less noise back then, you know, because not everybody had a website. Not everybody saw the reason for to have a website or, or a blog or, or anything like that. Um, and it, it, it was amazing that people, you know, would actually seek out to do these things at a time when, to me, computers really didn't start to come into their own until like 2000, 2001. Um, where people, you know, there were much, the price was coming way down. You could have, you know, you could build your own with like the bare bones kits and stuff like that. And uh, it, it just goes to show you, like, even though it was pre like a computer explosion on, on the online level, um, it was, it was, it was still like right at the beginning, you know, AOL keywords were still, I think just about around the corner at that point. Right. And most people were on some kind of dial-up, AOL, Net Zero, one of the original dial-up services. Uh, you know, I think... Prodigy. I, I, yeah, I do think more people were getting computers. It hadn't exploded yet. But like even my parents who were business people, I, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. They, even them in the late 80s, they had already gotten a... Uh, my dad had one of the original Macintoshes and my mother and stepfather had, you know, the PC knockoff. So they, and they were using like, um, WordStar 2000, you know, way back in the day. <laughs> and so, you know, people, business people, you didn't have the explosion where everybody, but small business people were starting to see, I need to do this. How do I get into it? And most of them, like we said, were on they were just on dial-up because there really wasn't. Uh, I lived in Austin, Texas when the first high-speed came in, when Roadrunner first came in. And I was one of the first people on high-speed. But I had to be super careful developing because nobody I was working for was on high-speed. They were mm -hmm. on AOL, Net Zero, Prodigy, like you said, type of dial-ups. So I, I would have to keep a dial-up, you know, of course, this way predates the kind of cell phones we have now. So we were not dialing up with our cell phones, just our main line, so that I could check what I was doing to make sure it was something that would render fast enough. Yeah, yeah, no, that was uh, that, that was definitely tricky. I mean, even today, we still have to you know be concerned about speed because yeah. you know not everybody's on LTE, which is faster than most people's home internets, uh, right. LTE cell phone networks. Um, so yeah, so it's it's definitely something though. Now with computers, we could we can like test that like from a website. You know, we have websites that can test that kind of stuff and screen sizes and uh, yeah. So it's it's really amazing. Um, that you know just having a computer you don't have to have I, speaking of this I, I was reminded uh the other day that i actually back in the windows 98 days i actually had my friend uh my friend's dad show me how to dual boot with windows nt because the modem my modem would go faster under windows nt than it would uh windows 98 by, by quite a bit, significant amount that I would actually do, you know, boot up into Windows NT just to surf the net because it was like probably about 10%, 15% faster. Mm -hmm. You had uh, a lot more processing power at the time. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so yeah, so it, it just was, it was, it was a great time. It was a great time. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, better time now, but a great time then. Uh, I wish, you know, knowing now what we know now, like, I, I I wish we could go back and, like, go harder in what we were looking at. Like, pushing harder for the future uh, back then um, than maybe we, we potentially did. Because now, every, you know, everybody's got a smartphone in their in their pocket. It's not really yeah. a phone. It's a computer and, and yeah. uh, websites and stuff. Like, you, you know, you could go back and start, like, ten different blogs. If you could go back in time, we could start ten different blogs that would be billionaire, you know, you know, billion dollar blogs today if we had just started by we could build the Huffington Post exactly well not <laughs> even that like I look back at um at you know one of my core things in my business now is uh taking all that 
online training and, and teaching I've been doing and master's degree, and I teach people how to build online courses. Well, something I, I don't think anyone knows this uh, that doesn't know me like for a long, long time. I've never talked about this on a web on a podcast or anything before. Back in 1998, I launched a company to develop computer-based training, not online, you know, all, um, you know, all just computer-based, but I had that vision of the online piece of it and where it was going to go. And that was where I really learned I did not know how to manage large-scale programmers yet. Took me many years later when I was with IBM to understand that. So I basically bankrupted myself and the company. Oh. Built a beautiful prototype. And like years later, people were still saying, whatever happened to that software? That prototype was awesome. I'm like, well, it never came into being. But it was, I had that vision for what computer learning could be. And this predates Flash, by the way. When Adobe came out with Flash, and they were talking about this, and like I was in a, a meeting in Austin, Texas, where Adobe was presenting this, and the woman sitting next to me was one of my uh, beta testers for the prototype, and she's like, they have nothing on you. Nothing. And, of course, they did. They had dollars. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out of money, and it predated when everybody just threw money at everything. You know, it, I predated the 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 ramp up to the tech burst in 2000 where I, I was in the middle of it and one of the few people that did not lose their jobs. So absolutely, I look back at this and I think, if you just could have held on a little bit longer, <laughs> where would you be right now? Well, you, you, you might not be as happy as you are because you're doing what you love now, which, is, which is teaching people uh, how to better use the technology that they probably have heard of, kind of maybe understand a little bit of, um, but don't understand it to the level of I can use this to to like supercharge my business and I don't have to pay someone else to do it. And that's something that as entrepreneurs, we're we're usually do-it-yourselfers. So I really love the fact that you're you're doing courses, or not just doing courses, but doing courses to show other people how to build courses, how to use WordPress, how to do all these things uh, and effectively. Way more effective than I did it when I did my, <laughs> on my on my try. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to compare it to yours. I didn't look at that, but but yes, I mean that is part of what I love is that I can help people actually get there, get over the technology, but also because I'm an entrepreneur and I've had these years of business as well as a family of entrepreneurs. So I've had my if you look at my weird life, I've had my hands in almost every type of business known to man from motels to clothing stores to restaurants i owned day spas at one point because uh, i burned out on tech for a couple of years and so i've had all these different things so i can bring to it kind of one the overall vision of the business the real what it takes to be an entrepreneur and then the technology piece and pull it together uh, to help, to, to really help the people that work with me take their business to the next level. Oh, I love it. And getting burned out on tech, I totally can identify with that <laughs> because as much as I use computers, understand computers, and, uh, you know, done the IT work for a long, long time, uh, you know, it gets to the point where it's just, you're, you know, computers just never do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it for other people. And right. it's just so frustrating because it's like, I, and that's that's a lot of people don't get. And maybe maybe you can um, help me help me with this, Kim. A lot of people don't understand that. Like when I'm frustrated that they have a computer problem, I'm not frustrated at them. It's not their fault. Like nine times out of ten, it's not user error unless they're just missing something. But but that's not really like an error so much as it's maybe an education problem that they could you know learn how to do something a little bit better. But it's just computers in general, just they just never do what they're supposed to. Even I mean, I I love Macs, but but even Macs aren't perfect. Um, they they do things. I mean, just today, like my wife was doing something on her on her MacBook Air, and it froze. Like literally, the whole thing just froze. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's really odd. That's not something that normally would ever happen. So I just closed it to put it to sleep, opened it back up, it was fine. Yeah. I'm like, what, I, like hopefully this isn't a, a regular occurrence. She wasn't doing anything extenuous, just browsing the internet. 
And, uh, you know, it's just like that's that's the things. And then then the other half of it is getting the phone calls that you have to deal with. And it's like as an IT person, you have to see it. Right. It's like it's like trying to explain a car problem to to even a new mechanic. And you're like, what sound It's like that? My mighty key commercial or whatever. <laughs> or Midas commercial where they like it makes like, get, 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 get. like, well, what's that sound? I don't know. Like it could be anything. Right. <laughs> well, at least now here's the good thing with support now. Because when I was in support, we didn't have this. Um, at least we now have the technologies through Skype and Zoom and things like that, that a lot of times you can screen share and see exactly what they're talking about. Now, if it's obviously completely locked up, you can't. But there's a lot of times when I'm working with someone and they are telling me, I'm doing that and I am not seeing that. I am doing that and I'm not seeing that. And we go into Zoom and we look at it and they're on a completely wrong screen. You know, you're not anywhere near what we're talking about together uh, let's do this together and then we we wrap it up and that's not on them necessarily and that can be because I didn't explain it properly I wasn't clear you know if you here's what I tell people if you're teaching if you're teaching or doing support which is really support is teaching <laughs> uh, sometimes it's going to be them that they just don't get it but if you're teaching a class and everybody's not getting a lesson, you might want to look at you. <laughs> because, you know, if everybody fails the test, you probably didn't teach it very well. Something, you're missing something. You know, it's not always. When I was in tech support, we always wanted to blame the, uh, you know, the person calling in. And yes, I come from the days of tech support where people thought CD-ROMs were cup holders. The cup holder broke. What do you mean the cup holder broke? The, the foot pedal's not working. It's a mouse, not a foot pedal. You know, <laughs> I come from those days of tech support. So we, you know, very frequently had, you know, we had those support, the, uh, the support things you say about people, right? Which I now say about myself all the time when I mess something up. And so that's, you know, it's a short between the seat and the keyboard, <laughs> right? User error. Uh, but you also have to, if you're teaching and you're doing support and everybody's not getting it, you might need to look at yourself and how you're explaining things because maybe you missed something and uh, you, you need to fix it yourself as the, as the explainer, the support person, or the teacher. I, I would agree. Um, and it's, it's just hard because you have to try to not get frustrated with the computer, set, the, the computer side of things because then people mistakenly think that you're upset with them and, and you're not. Right. Like. But right. you, at the same time, you're not the programmer to, like, right. build it. Like, when they're like, oh, why didn't it just work this way? Well, th that's the way somebody else decided that it should work. Right. Yeah, that's you when know, you say things, things like, like you know, Steve Jobs didn't ask me my opinion. Yeah, apparently. I have said that many a time. You know? <laughs> Bill Gates doesn't really take my calls. No. I, he just doesn't. So <laughs> if someone asks me the why, that's what I come up with. You're right. You can't get You also can't get frustrated because – they feel the frustration and they get more frustrated. Part of our job when we're supporting someone is to keep them calm and just let them know it's okay. This happens, you know, and, and more than anything, just please make sure you have a backup <laughs> because, uh, you know, when you were talking about your wife's machine in May, I got up one morning I, for about two days. I noticed my computer was not acting right. It was kind of acting slow. It was kind of hanging and I thought it was because we had an old router and we were, we were looking to upgrade our internet router. We were getting ready to do that. And I kind of dismissed it. I got up one morning and no matter what I was doing, it was hanging, hanging, hanging. It is a Mac. It's an iMac. And I was getting the, you know, the little beach ball of death where it was just going and going and going. And I rebooted it and I ran some diagnostics. And I mean, within 20 minutes, that hard drive failed flat out, gone. No you know, no, we can repair it. No, anything. It just failed. So thank God I had my time machine backup. Uh, I am fortunate enough that I actually have a backup iMac. So I didn't have to go buy a new one. I got the other one out, put it in, put the time machine, restored it. It still was a pain in the patootie because you still, to, uh, you still have not just the time, it, it, it took the time, but once you do that, anytime you log on to any of your services, they still see that it's from a different MAC address, a different machine. Mm -hmm. You have to go through all the hoops again to say, 
to Google, yes, I'm really this, to the app store, yes, I'm really this, you know, but hey, it could have been a lot worse. Yes, it could have been. I had a backup. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm always trying to get people, whether it's your website, your computer, your phone, whatever, have a good backup. Yes. Yes, you should. Um, So, Kim, why don't we go into some of the first steps you took when you decided that teaching, you know, running these online courses was for you? Okay. Well, I... I just, I am a teacher. It's not what I do. It's who I am. If you look it back at my life, no matter what industry I've been in, no matter what I've done, I've always been a teacher. And I don't mean that from a school teacher perspective, like working in the corp, you know, the, the school system, although I have done that, uh, that didn't appeal to me much at all, but sharing my knowledge and, and being able to see someone get it it's always been who I am. So every other industry, when I talk about doing other things, I always took that business and turned it into a training institute. It's just what I do because it's what I enjoy. Doing it as an online, if I'm going to be an online, that's what I'm going to do. I started out when I first started teaching technology, which was back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was teaching in corporate America, uh, not online. You know, we had classrooms. We were teaching people the basics of this predates Windows. We were doing DOS, Novell Networks, how to log onto the network, what was a print queue, you know, Word, um, Word Perfect, Lotus 1, 2, 3, and Harvard Graphics, all on DOS. But it's just, like I said, who I was. As the internet came in and as I started building websites, then it was like, oh, I can actually turn the training into this. Now, again, talking 97, 98, a training class for me back then that was online was flat HTML with a, a previous and next button. And there was no, you couldn't do video. People didn't have high speed enough to do video. You couldn't do really audio. It was just text and images and moving through it. I kind of forgot about the online training from a teaching training perspective. I kept, as I grew and grew and grew into the 2000s, and I was actually building websites again for people, I would be doing little video trainings for them behind the scenes and that kind of thing. And then in 2012, I started building out full courses on how to teach WordPress, I mean, excuse me, how to build a WordPress website. I partnered with someone on how to build niche websites, and we were just doing the teaching. I would say it was about a year and a half ago that people then started saying to me, can you teach me to do that? You're teaching me to build WordPress. You're teaching me uh, to build websites, but you also know how to build the online courses, not just from the technical piece, but from the, you know, the education piece. Can you teach me that? And so I'm going to say that was probably 15 months ago that I started that. And that's been my main focus ever since, because it lets me do all of that. It's like, okay, let's create some educationally sound courses. And then here's the software we're going to put it into. And then here's the marketing piece we're going to launch it in. And it let me just grab all of that and just focus on it. Uh, that's awesome. I, I love the fact that you would um, know yourself well enough to know that you are a teacher, regardless of if you, and I honestly, I, I mean, I guess I could see you being a computer teacher in a classroom, but uh, I, I know how you, you know, kids and you, uh, eh, no, I was always an adult teacher. The lowest I ever went was high school. Other than that, even when I taught in computers, it was in corporate America. It was all adults. <laughs> no, to- totally understandable uh, after getting to know you better. So, yeah. um, so Kim, what would you say uh, that, that your – how did your family take that? Like the idea, like, okay, now I'm going to transition into this thing. Um, I mean, you're from a technology background, obviously. So uh, that's not unfamiliar. It's not like you're like, oh, I'm a musician and now I'm just going to drop all that and be a tech person. Actually, it's not. It's not that. No, it's opposite. Um, am I going to do this? When I go to the entrepreneurship, I'll tell you in a minute, my family is all entrepreneurs, so they were fine. No, remember I mentioned at the beginning, I started out as a total creative being a writer and an English major and all this. And then I took that programming class and I really got into it. And all of a sudden I'm putting my way through college, tutoring other people. No, my family was like, what? You just darn near didn't graduate because of math. What are you talking about? How can you do computers? 
like, well, I don't know. I'm just doing them. It's not the same as stupid ninth grade algebra. And, uh, you know, my dad was like calling my friends like, is she really able to tutor people with quality or is she just a good salesperson? <laughs> and my friends were like, no, no, she really knows what she's doing. She's really good at it. So once they wrapped their arms around that, then they completely supported me because, as I said, they are all entrepreneurs. I, I mean, I was, I was even just doing this kind of as an exercise recently looking at it. And when I say my parents, my mother and my stepfather, they were always entrepreneurs. My father was always an entrepreneur. He, uh, when I was a kid, he was an architect and a builder. He had his own contracting company, an architecture company. And then when I was in high school, he dropped all of that and moved to Wyoming and opened a restaurant because he said the dreams of new houses quit coming, built the restaurant up, completely very successful, whole little mini chain of restaurants, sold that off. In his, quote, retirement, he owns a bed and breakfast in Minnesota, which is only open during the summer, so he's working part-time. So I had all of that, even my one grand, two of my grandfathers even, I had three grandfathers, uh, were all entrepreneurs. They were all self-employed. So Going into that arena, which freaks a lot of people out, right? A lot of families are like, oh, you're going to be self-employed. That's really not safe. That's not very secure. My family is more, they don't understand if you go work for corporate America. They're more like, oh, that's, something's wrong with that. <laughs> so, uh, so that part was really uh, easy. And I, I met them, like for your listeners who are entrepreneurs and or they want to be and they're moving there. Uh, one of the things that really um, keeps me going, kept me going through it, and of course it takes the hard work. We all know that. It takes the work. But one of the things that kept me going through it was when I lived with my, my mother and my stepfather, we had a variety of businesses, as I said, you know, a motel and uh, clothing stores and they were home builders and they owned a marina and they owned apartments and it was just like we were always involved and the whole family was always involved and when we bought the motel they were kind of at a point where every excess amount of money and loan and all went into this motel and we had to renovate the motel and you know we still had the marina and the apartments but those were very set income and, and we had put all of it into this motel. So we got to the time to, own the, to open the motel, and we truly had like $10 in the family bank account. What are we going to do? And my stepfather was an amazing man, an amazing salesman. He, he goes out, and he kind of hustles, and he gets this high school basketball team to book when they're coming to town for a conference. You know, one of those... Um, I don't think they call them conferences, but, you know, when they have the playoff, they have, they have tournaments. the tournaments. Thank yeah. you for the words. <laughs> and so they came in at 11 in the morning and he said very much like a hotel would, right? Uh, thank you very much. Your rooms will be ready at three. That's our check-in time. They paid by check, school check. This, you know, this is 1979. So forget about cell phones, forget about, you know, any of the things you're thinking of technologically. And so they gave him the check. He knew the guy at the bank and he told the guy at the bank this was going to happen. So the guy at the bank, we took the check to the bank. The guy fronted us the cash. We went to Kmart and we bought the sheets, the towels, the toilet paper, the soap, all the things to finish outfitting this hotel for these teams. And as a family made the beds set up these rooms so that at three o'clock they came in and that was how we did the official launch. So crazy, right? But if that's your family's story, <laughs> then <laughs> you're like, yeah, I can handle this, right? <laughs> we're going to make it work. We had to get out there and do the work, but we're going to make it work. And we did. Oh, you know, everything happens for a reason. And it, it's great that he was able to, uh, to get the money in general, um, and have the relationship to make that happen, uh, to have it, to have the money right then. Cause normally you'd have to wait probably three, four or five days for that check to be cleared. Right. That was something he taught me and, and things are different now. I, it would be so much harder to do right now, but 
one of the things he taught me back then, and again, we're talking late 70s, is he always made really good relationships with his bankers. Mm-hmm. Get to know them always like, for example, you know, he was in the building industry and there were sometimes times that it's tough if, if, if your draws weren't coming in on time, paying those bills was hard. And he taught me if that ever happens, you don't disappear. You go see that banker. You say, here's my draw. It's not all coming in, but here's what I can give you today. You know, and he always had this knack for working with people. It would be much harder to do that now because we don't have small town bankers. That's that's true. Right that's true. now it's what Wells Fargo par- policy is or B of A's policy, or you can have the nicest guy at the bank, but he can't break those policies. Yeah, I so, hate policies. We- yeah, me too. Well, it's it's just not an entrepreneurial thing. We don't do policies, right? So yeah, no. it would. I, I think that things are. I think there are some things about entrepreneurship that are harder today, with things like that, and yet at the other time, we're in a beautiful place to be entrepreneurs because um, there's so much more of it. It's acceptable. It's easy to create an LLC. You don't have to hire an attorney for three thousand dollars. You can do it yourself. Businesses have, you know, uh, banks allow for small business uh, bank accounts, which there was a time that that was very tough to get. Uh, You and I both started in technology at a time where, if you will remember, getting a merchant account in the 90s was... I I think that's a little... I was about 10. Okay. (laughs) So, so, yeah. You weren't trying to get a merchant account. No, no, no. You couldn't get merchant accounts. I had a viable online business... And getting a merchant account was jumping through lots and lots and lots and lots of hoops. You could get an SBA loan easier than you could get a merchant account. <laughs> so so at the same time, yeah, there's some things that I talk about that would be hard to do. But at the other time, we have to – I think we just have to embrace that there's so much openness for entrepreneurs right now that that we can have that opportunity. And we don't need a millions of dollars or thousands and thousands of dollars because – you can build an online business for, you know, a few hundred dollars. That's true. That's very true. Um, no, so you got to remember, like, in the 90s, I was online making, uh, using a fake name because I was under the age of 18. And, I, <laughs> and, and I've said this on this show, actually, the, the amazingness of, I still get mail today for that fake name to this because I live in the house I grew up in. I get fake mail to that fake person to this day, like just last week, I got a, a letter, and then two weeks before that, I guess I guess the name got sold on another list or something, and people are are sending uh, this fake person stuff, like you know, <laughs> ads and, right. and stuff like that uh, through the mail, through the snail mail, not email, not email. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's that was my experience through the '90s with the internet. Was like, how do I? Because I, I I didn't have a credit card, you know. It was like, how do I do things? Uh, and, and be under eight, the age of 18 and, and for, you know, because it was the scary time of the, the quote unquote scary time of the internet where it's like, well, you don't know where you're giving your name to or where it's going. It's mm-hmm. like, now it's like, dude, everybody's got your information. If they, if they want it, they're, they're going to have it. Like just cause you don't give somebody five bucks to get your credit report. Doesn't mean that they don't already have access to it themselves. Exactly. You know? And you never had to buy anything online. You know, it's, yeah. it's not even back then. It was like, well, if I buy online, this will happen. Now it's, you know, you don't have to buy online for someone to hack you. If you know, look at what's happened with Home Depot and Target and these Wendy's. big retailers, and what and Wendy's too. Yes. Like, you know, so, so these these things happen without you even like, oh, I don't have a computer because I'm trying to be safe. Like, safe for what? We don't live forever. I mean. We're only going to be here for for a short amount of time anyway, so why not enjoy the the benefits of the time in which we live instead of trying to pretend that it's not like we're we're just not going to be that way. Exactly. It, it's like my know. my dad was so proud of himself because he doesn't have a Facebook account, and uh, well, I would not be on Facebook. I I'm not on Facebook. I said, no, you don't have a Facebook account, Dad. You're on Facebook. So like, what do you mean? I said. And it's because one of my girlfriends from when we were little kids digitized all these pictures from high school and put them all on Facebook. And my dad's, I'm like, dad, look, here you are on Facebook. Here you are on Facebook. Oh, man. (laughs) So just because you don't have an account doesn't mean you're not there. Yep. Yeah. And and just because you don't fill anything out doesn't mean they don't know anything about you. They'll figure out, they'll figure you out from your friends and what they fill out. So 
yeah. you, you can't get away from it. It's just, it, yeah. it exists and, and you have to li- learn to live in the world that we, that is today and what we, yeah. what we have. Right. Um, exactly. And embrace what, what you can of it, you know, because for, for all the downsides of it, and there are some, absolutely for all the downsides that there are so many upsides. So just embrace those and, uh, use them to make a kick butt business for yourself and, uh, move forward, you know? Yeah. So Kim, what's been the biggest roadblock for you with create? Well, I guess in general, but more be specifically towards, uh, these online courses. Mm. Getting my content out. I am, uh, really have had to battle myself of, I, I tend to be a little anal about things and a little too much of a perfectionist about things. And you can't be, I, I'm not saying put out crap. I don't, I put out, I put out quality products, but I'm one of those people who could edit for 20 years, you know, and by the time that class gets out, we're nine versions of WordPress away from what I was building. That's not going to help anybody. doesn't help me. doesn't help my students. doesn't help the world. So it was really getting to what, what am I going to do? What's the level of quality I have to have? And then getting it done. I say all the time, done is the new perfect. And reminding myself of that. It's still good. It's still quality. I could honestly have a Steven Spielberg level quality video in my class. And I'd still be going, no, let's edit it some more. Let's just edit it some more. And at some point you have to ship. Or like I said, you're not going to help anybody, not just yourself. I can't help. I can't help my students if I'm not delivering to them. If I'm just holding it all back to me to, to get better, get better, get better. That's (laughs) my big one. I used to feel the same way with the, especially with the show. I would edit for like an hour, two hours, take out every um, fix every, you know, external noise and and all everything. And uh, now I, I don't I don't do the I don't do any editing unless uh, there's a curse word or like there's a long get pause for like like Kim somebody just came to the door and you get up and you you walk over to the door you know and there's like a minute or two there like yeah. I, I would I would just make like a time stamp and go back and cut that out but other than that like I I don't do any of that anymore because I, I feel like it's it should be natural it should be like a conversation it should be like we're having it right now and here and Facebook live actually helped me do uh get over that a bit um because of the fact that you know once I talk once like I'm recording on Facebook live uh, it, it is what it is, you know, it, it is what right. it is. And, and the other aspect of it is, is when the, epi- when the show is only supposed to be about 30 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes, maybe it's an hour, you know, as long as there isn't like a lot, a lot of long gaps, you know, asking somebody for 20 minutes of their time to listen to this thing, even if there was like a bunch of ums or pauses or whatever, isn't a, an incredible amount of time. Right. Especially in the podcasting world. So, right. Well, you know what I mean? Like you gotta the- let it breathe. Yeah, and I think now more people, unless you're doing a highly produced story-type podcast, which I am actually going to do a story series that's going to be very highly produced, then people are expecting the high production. Other than that, for podcasts, when we want to hear uh, a conversation, most of us want to hear a conversation. We want one of the different things that's really cool right now in business is people want to see who you are. They want to know one-on-one who they're buying from, not that they're buying from IBM or, you know, these big companies. They want connection with people and having, I think, real interviews. And, you know, when when you were on with mine, we had Ava in the background at one point. It was so cute. I think one of my cats got involved. And yet that's one of people's favorite episodes. People call. I love that episode. I love that episode. I get phone calls about it. So people now, I think outside of those very specific ones, people aren't looking for that absolute perfection. They're looking for people. They want to know that you're people just like they're people. Yeah, I would agree because this isn't TV. This isn't, you know, Hollywood. This isn't 
uh, make believe this is supposed to be real. And again, as long as it's not like, oh, it, it was an hour long conversation that if you just cut out all the gaps, it would be 25 minutes. Then, yeah. you know, then you need to make that call. But, you know, letting it breathe and OK, so it was an extra two or three minutes at the end. Like, oh, you know, if you cut it out across um, all the ums or pauses or, or or anything like that, it's it's just not it's just not worth my time. <laughs> and, I agree. You know, now, especially with Ava here, it's just, just there's just no time yes. for that. So it's either I'm going to create the content or I'm not going to create the content and just give up. So I, I, I sympathize with your wanting to over edit. And I really, really wish that I could go back and get all the hours that I, uh, <laughs> I lost because honestly I would have probably kept doing the show five days a week if I just had just ignored the editing part altogether mm. but with that said th- some of the guests that i had not all the guests but some of the guests i had back then weren't comfortable with talking on a mic so you kind of had to a little that bit that makes a difference if you're if you're talking to someone who's not comfortable on mic on video whatever you're doing that does make sense absolutely right. and, but i'm the same i've gotten like that so on my videos i used to edit out every time one of my cats did something because they get involved. I have one who likes to come up and headbutt the microphone while I'm working, likes to knock over the camera, likes to get behind me and wash herself inappropriately. She's not there right now, but she likes to do that. <laughs> and I used to just stop and edit everything. And then, it, you know, I was like, you know what? People on the internet watch cats all the time. They're one of the biggest things watched on the internet. Yes. And let's just go with it. And now I, uh, I, People see her behind me. They talk about her. If she doesn't show up, they usually ask about her. And when she does something goofy, like the other day, she started playing with the doorstop. So you're hearing bing, bing, bing behind me. And I just said, hey, we're having a pebble sighting. And I have this little picture of her that floats in and floats (laughs) out. And you know what? The people who are my students, the people who are my tribe, they love it. And every once in a while, I get someone who emails me and says, I don't think it's very professional that you have your cats. You know what? You're not my target audience. Yeah, that's, that's Sorry. true. You know, go find a armadillo podcast or whatever turns you on. But you're not my <laughs> target audience. My target audience are the people who appreciate that my cats get involved and help me teach and make it easier and all that kind of stuff. Well, so. I, was, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about that. And it's like, well... When you're in a classroom setting, like you're legit teaching a class, whether it's the kids or adults or college or where, wherever, whatever, nothing. It's not all edited. It's not perfect. It's you know things happen. People ask questions. People, you know, make noises. People cough. Like it happens. So when you're in that, and I think part of the thing is is um when you just like can close your eyes on a conversation, like you like we're like we're having a conversation right now, you're listening to this show and you're listening to my voice and you close your eyes and it's like you transport yourself to that world of like, I'm sitting at a table with these two people and this is what we're talking about. And these are noises that come up. I, I think in my last interview I just did with Stephen Warley, um, I think Melissa was watching Netflix or something in the other room. It was, it was pretty loud. I can't imagine that it didn't at least somewhat get into the mic, but Hey, it is what it is. I don't have time to go back and edit it. And it's can't, there's, I I was checking the level. So it, well, it can't be loud enough that it's like over, like you can't hear what he's saying or it's like battling with what he's saying. In that case, I probably would have just asked him to redo another interview or something to that effect, but you know, or, or, yeah, I don't have the time. I have. It's easier to do that than it is to go back and like edit out the sound for going back and forth. Like it's tough oh, to yeah. explain if you don't know what I'm talking about. But Kim, I get that. What was your childhood dream? <laughs> um, as with the rest of my life, I I kind of had a lot of them. The the first thing I wanted to be in when I was a kid was a paleontologist. <laughs> I loved dinosaurs. And I kind of got to make that dream come true when I got to go on a fairly significant dig when I was in about the fourth grade. That was pretty cool. But the main thing was I always wanted to be a storyteller. I, I said an actress at the time because I just saw it as a way to do stories. 
I loved Barbie dolls because it was another venue to do stories. I hated baby dolls, but I would make all the kids come around and bring their Barbies and I would make up the stories and we would act them out. I would uh, turn the second story balcony of our home into a stage and I would write, direct and help star in the plays that we were going to do. Then I would go make the other kids in the neighborhood come sit and watch. So it was just really about the story. And I think that's how I ended up growing up and doing my original degree in English and in writing. And I still love the story, but I took my writing at that point and my teaching into the, into the technical arena. And now for the first time really since probably middle school, I am working on some storytelling series for myself, not necessarily for business. Business, I'm a teacher. You know, it it is still who I am. I love it. But I I don't want to lose track of who that girl was who loved to tell stories. And uh, now that we have this beautiful thing called podcasting, I'm working on some that will be a little more produced, that will allow me to kind of get back into that, to that arena. Oh, I love it. I, about a year or actually like a year and a half ago, I was looking at doing, and I still would love to do a, a story-based uh, scripted podcast with multiple voice actors and uh, actresses and, and just this whole big thing. And the problem was, was the time, the amount mm-hmm. of time it was going to take and the lack of like, you know, I, I, I just didn't have the time to, to do something like that that I wasn't going to necessarily get paid for because even just to write the scripts it takes a lot of time um, to get it yes. to that level and then not including the editing and the mixing and then getting all the people the different voice actors and actresses together people that are willing to do it people that sound good together that have that kind of, like ugh, right. it just it's plus I now I have even more equipment and I have the space to do it so at some point, I'd love to go back and, and revisit the idea, especially now as more people like yourself are starting to get into it. I'm like, oh, I could have been like one of like three or four different you know <laughs> other shows at the time um, that are doing this thing. But even still, it doesn't matter as long as you do. It's like Apple. It doesn't matter who does it first. It matters who does it right. Absolutely. And I think the same thing sometimes. I think, gosh, I could have done that. But uh, yeah, and mine isn't. Initially, it is just going to be my voice. I do some different voices, but it's not going to be other actors. It's just going to be me telling the story initially. But still, I will have the cut in and cut outs and the music in between and all. So it's definitely going to be a labor of love because, and that's why I haven't done it yet. I have to get what I'm doing with my current speeches I'm working on and my current training that I'm working on. And then probably mid-fall that will fall into place and I can start doing it. And I'm not, I am not thinking of it as a podcast that's going to last forever. It's going to be like a six session series at a time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be episode one and this would be episode two because I just, I can't see doing that. And then I'm, I would be afraid that I would lose the love for it at that point. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Yeah, I would agree because it's going to be a lot of work and a lot of time, and mm-hmm. um, who you know, who knows how successful or just you know, it ends up being for just you and and the handful of people that love it. So, right. um, it's 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 tough. It's a gamble for sure, especially without like having big sponsorship behind you to be like, here's a bunch of money, so now you can pay people right. and you can do all this production work and it'll be great. I mean, even if you don't even make money out of it, like at least you could pay other people for their time and effort and other people's uh, passion for your passion of, of the story that you're trying to tell. Exactly. So other than all of that, what do your dreams for the future look like? Oh, well... As I said, it's been the last 15 months I've been ramping up the online training and I'm really set over the next, I would say, 15 months to really knock that out of the park. And then my my future ones really are, I want to do the storytelling. I want to take a little bit bigger stage, a stage that goes beyond, I don't like to say just teaching technology because I think what I have, what I do has a definite impact for people. Uh, but I want to be able to take a stage that has some po- more personal and motivational messages. 
and uh, and really embrace that storyteller that I left behind. And I think a lot of it I left behind because of fear. It was a goal and a dream, but there was always that fear when you're in your 20s that someone will reject you. And it's much easier to be rejected in your 50s. And uh, <laughs> it just is. You know, you're, you're not... I, I Somebody will say something to me and I'll think, gosh, I would have cried when I was 20. Now I'm just like... Pfft. Um, and then my, my last one is that, uh, we are looking, this one really isn't a dream. I, I think we're on our way to it. I want to have a, a little small three to five acres where I can grow more of my food. I'm really into sustainability and organic food. I want to grow more of it. I want to have a little small grove of citrus and avocado. I live in Florida, so that's all doable. Anybody who's listening, I'm not in a cold region. And, uh. Yeah, and just be able to hang out with my cats and uh, grow some stuff and tell some stories for people. I love it. Love it, <laughs> love it, love it. Kim, before we share how people can connect with you and get your podcast and your courses and all that, uh, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share? Just if your folks are dreamers, just move beyond the dream and do it. You know, one thing is it's great to dream for things, but... In my experience, nothing happens until you actually start the work. So go do it. You can. I would. I would totally agree. You, you know, you got to take those dreams and turn them into memories because you did it. Um, yeah. I like that dreams and turn them into memories. I really like that. Well, thank you. Uh, so, how can people connect with you online? Oh, it's so easy. Uh, Twitter. I'm at Kim Shivler. Online for websites, I would grab me at either howtobuildanonlinecourse.com, pretty simple, <laughs> whitegloveWebtraining.com, or if you're looking to build your first WordPress website, how to build a website in eight hours or less.com, and that's the number eight, not the word. <laughs> you should, did you try? You should you should register the other domain name so no, nobody can get it wrong. I think I do have it, but you I should need also to look, ATE. Like, Oh, I never thought of that one. Uh, Any other ways to spell eight that I can't think of? Um, Yes. So that's awesome. I will have all those in the show notes uh, so people can connect with you, Kim. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I would love to have you on again in the future so we can talk about your avocados. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun. Uh, Thanks for coming on my show. That was great fun. And, uh, yeah, I would love to come back and look forward to connecting again soon. You're welcome, and I, I really enjoyed my time on your show getting to talk about the the pod, you know podcast and pl- or platform building, uh-huh. uh, and and all that, and the courses that I built, and how uh, I they differ, you know, everything differed from the way you teach it, especially at WordCamp. I was like, wow, this is way different than what I was already <laughs> doing. So it was all good. Yes, so it was very good. Thank you again, Kim. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dreamers Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dreamers Podcast. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Dreamers Podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to j at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.